Welcome back to the Revolution and Ideology podcast, our series Myth is America. I am Jared. I'm Nick. And uh, we are back doing a uh, short bio on one of the great overlooked American heroes of the past. In this case, it is a man named William Grimes. And before we dig into Mr. Grimes, I want to talk real quickly about why some of us have maybe never heard of William Grimes. So real quickly, there are a couple of epistemic functions that our historical storytellers uh, seek to perpetuate by ignoring some of these great heroes of the past. First, by not investigating the ways oppressed people exerted themselves against oppression, the historical narrative assumes they were relatively okay with the situation or that they merely persevered quietly until the time was right. This absolves the dominant class both then and now of feeling any sort of guilt. That's one reason. The next reason is, as above, by ignoring these oppressed people, um, they seek to promote the same reaction for today's people that are still facing inequality and oppression. Essentially, it's like saying, well, people of the past had it much worse, just deal with it and wait until we're ready to make it better for you. Uh, the next reason why we overlook amazing people like William Grimes or Nat Turner or David Walker is because uh, our United States historical storytellers like to generate their own heroes, and they like to generate those heroes uh, that ignore certain discourses, genders, or racial profiles, essentially making, obviously, the heroes all look the same. And I think our listeners know what that hero looks like. It's usually a white, wealthy dude, usually of a certain religious persuasion. The last reason we never hear from people like William Grimes in our U.S. history classes is, again, the idea of the docile body. Modern learners live in imperfect worlds, and nearly everyone has a bone or two to pick with their society, regardless of their political persuasion or demographic data. And looking past all the different ways agents of change actually made change... Um, promotes a population that may be subjected, used, transformed, and improved. And of course, that comes from Michel Foucault. But basically saying, like, there's only a couple of ways to make change, and if we ignore all of the great ways people made change in the past and only look at the easy-to-control or manipulate, like, peaceful protest or voting type of things, that means change can never actually take place. So without further ado, to try and keep this, this biography of William Grimes shorter, let's just dig right in. Any thoughts before we do as I scroll down to William Grimes' bio? Nope. Let's do it. Okay. So William Grimes uh, was born in uh, 1784, and he lived the longest of our like three African-American heroes or black heroes that we've talked about in our recent episodes. He lived the longest, uh, dying in 1865. Now, William Grimes, before I dig fully into his bio, is a revolutionary that's a little bit different than Nat Turner. Nat Turner flat out led uh, rebellion. David Walker was an amazing abolitionist that advocated uh, in the an appeal to the colored citizens of the world and tried to unite everybody in a mass movement against slavery. William Grimes is not that type of revolutionary. He commits to what we call revolutionary exit. Nick, real quickly, what is exit? Exit is straight up leaving the society in which you you disagree with for whatever reason. In this so case, is bouncing slavery. revolutionary? Because we debate that. It's just leaving. Is that yeah. a revolutionary action? Can we call that revolutionary? I think it, it's definitely it, agency. Yeah, it depends on your perspective. Um, I think that, I don't know. I go back and forth, honestly. I don't know. Well, we're counting it right now because we're mm -hmm. doing a bio on William Grimes. William Grimes was born to Benjamin Grimes, a wealthy owner in King George County, Virginia. Seems a lot of this is happening in Virginia over and over again. Um, and uh, he is born to like a slave and the neighbor of his owner. So basically, like like Benjamin Grimes, the the owner, had a uh, an affair with one of his neighbor's slaves, and that is the pro and William Grimes is the product of that. 
So that's super interesting. Um, but the fact that his mother is a slave means William Grimes is also a slave. We talked about this with David Walker. His mother was free, which is why David Walker was free. Not so with William Grimes. Um, this is important for us to understand because it's very rare that those relationships between any sort of white person or black person in the 1800s during these slave-based societies was consensual. Rape was often used um, as a punishment. It was often used uh, just merely for pleasure. These are relationships, it's like Stockholm Syndrome stuff. So these whites would use, would sexually exploit black women as well as Native American women, but that, that's for a different episode. Um, and then what we see depicted is the hypersexualization of these women to almost like rationalize or justify the white men and their sexual abuse of these women what are your exactly. thoughts you're a sociologist so any, any no that's okay. yeah you nailed it okay anyway william grimes actually served 10 different slave owners during his lifetime before he was able to make his escape so he has bought and sold numerous times now as you might imagine as being half white and half black he was actually rather light-skinned in comparison to some of the other slaves the reason this is important for William Grimes' purposes is he actually faced, at least if we read his own biography, a double oppression. Not only was he oppressed as a slave, a black slave, but the other slaves actually also hated him. Any thoughts on that? For being half white, half black, and maybe sometimes being able to pass as white in certain areas. Yeah, I mean, I'm like we're going to hear about in his story, it's beneficial at times and it's a hindrance at times. Yeah, he ends up actually getting beaten physically by both. He's beaten by both his masters and sometimes by other slaves throughout his life. He ends up uh, able to escape uh, slavery in 1814 by stowing away on a ship set for New York City. Um, he ends up setting up his life in Connecticut, gets married, has 18 kids, of which 12 live. Um, but he ends up discovered by his old master in Connecticut. And due to the sl fugitive slave legislation, even though Connecticut was a free state by then, due to fugitive slave legislation, was forced to like buy his freedom and it bankrupts him. So he ends up really poor, even though he himself was like, he, he lives like that dream that we're all told, like, go out and work hard and rugged individualism. He actually does that as a freed slave who freed himself. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps any more than William Grimes does. And yet the state still bankrupts this black man mm -hmm. because he broke their laws. Yep. Unbelievable. Anyway, how do we know all this? This is where we talk about the life of William Grimes, which is his autobiography. He ends up writing this in 1825. So he writes it to profit, to recoup his losses from having to buy his freedom. So while I kind of made fun of that lawyer, uh, Gray, in Nat Turner's episode that profited from getting the confessions of Nat Turner, I feel a little differently about William Grimes seeking, William Grimes seeking profit because he was literally broke. The state broke him and he needed to find a way to recoup his losses. Well, he's also doing it for himself. Like right. the lawyer is just exploiting Turner. He was an exploiter. Yeah. Anyway, um, it is the first book-length autobiography written by a fugitive slave in U.S. history. So it is a landmark document. It is like uh, David Walker's An Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World. I'm willing to bet most Americans have never read it or even heard of it. So how is this land docu landmark document never read or heard of in American history classes? We've talked about it. They don't want to celebrate people of color in the United States past. Uh, especially those that are willing to call out the hypocrisies of the society that they were born into, especially since those hypocrisies still exist today. And the wife of William Grimes shows that. Why else is this document important? 
It is actually a pre-abolitionist document. William Grimes was not actually an abolitionist. He freed himself, so he doesn't have a political motive. So without a political motive, it actually might even be more authentic than some of the other writings of the time, because he doesn't, he's not, he's not politicized in any way, and yet he still shows all of the horrors of a slave-based society or a racist society when he moved to the North. Okay, so as far as the writing is concerned, I'm not going to pull a lot of quotes from it. I'm going to basically just give a super brief synopsis. The life of William Grimes uh, begins with complications of his status, right? Again, we already talked about how he was born. His owner's wife um, ended up beating him uh, constantly as a child. Why would his owner's wife constantly beat him? Because he was the result of an affair on... Be on the part of her husband. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this is literally the living, breathing, yeah. like, like evidence of your husband's infidelity. Mm -hmm. So, it, so she takes out her aggression on this child. By the age of 10, he was sold and became a house slave. Now, this is important because not only is he lighter skinned, but now he's working in the house, which there is a little bit of a hierarchy on plantations. And so other slaves hated for him, hated him for this. They even like sabotaged him, trying to get him like out of the house. Like he was, supposed to serve coffee to the master and they laced the coffee he served with cough syrup so that he would be blamed for like attempting to poison the master like so this is this is kind of tough so if we're to believe william grimes in his own autobiography like he's being sabotaged both from above and below it's interesting um multiple times being sold over and over again because of all of these issues led to like a life of misery by the time he makes it to georgia he tried unsuccessfully to break his own leg with an axe so that he would be like freed um, or at least so that he couldn't work. Like this is this is trauma. You talk. We talked about trauma a little bit in the David Walker episode. Well, this is clearly a sign of trauma that this young man is willing to try and break his own leg with an axe uh, to get out of the situation that he's in. Any thoughts? No, I mean, yeah, clearly trauma. It's an extreme. Spirituality tends to make appearances in these stories, and it makes another appearance here. Although with William Grimes, it seems less impactful than with Nat Turner or David Walker or Tecumseh. Um, he adopts Christianity perhaps only for appearances, but he also dabbles in other more quote-unquote exotic ways of knowing, going to visit fortune tellers um, and even accused witches. In fact, he visits accused witches, and there's also accused witches that are trying to like cast curses on him for being the way he is. So, like, there's a little bit of an interesting like spirituality background to the life of William Grimes. I highly encourage listeners to go explore that a little bit. It's super interesting to like hear about like 1800s American witchcraft. Super cool. Anyway, the misery that he was experiencing caused by other slaves eventually motivated him to force another sale. He goes on hunger strike, and this is verbatim from his mouth, to make him think he must either sell me or lose me. So he goes on a hunger strike to his master, basically saying, I'm either going to die or you're going to sell me because I need out of Georgia right now. Mm-hmm. Doesn't get all the way out of Georgia, but ends up with a new master in Savannah um, with some freedoms. He actually gets a couple of freedoms while working for this new master in Georgia, who, at least in his own autobiography, he says he kind of liked, although I don't like talking about that because then instantly, like, the other side will go, oh, slavery wasn't so bad, but whatever. He even frees other slaves, another slave, by pretending it was his. So in parts of Georgia, apparently he could pass as white enough to where he would have his own, or at least when he's walking around on the streets, he could have another uh, black person follow him, and the whites in town would think that was his slave. So he uses that to his advantage to free slaves. 
Um, his last owner, a family called the Wellmans, go on vacation. I think they go to like Bermuda or somewhere else in the Caribbean. And it's while they're on vacation that he just bounces. He bounces while they had allowed him to work for a brig casket company um, in, out of Boston. He ends up hiding in the center of like the cotton bales on deck. So he like hides as a stowaway on deck. Um, and in his words, a hole or place sufficiently large enough for me to stow away in with my necessary provisions. So he basically is a stowaway and he sails north. While he uh, liberates himself in the north, he actually, at least if his autobiography is 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 fully like to be believed, he runs into his owners like multiple times in the north, like which is super weird. Like, what are the odds? I mm-hmm. get like the that places like New York City and stuff aren't as big as they are now, but like, what are the odds you run into your owners multiple times? Right. Anyway, no one pulls him in because, in his own words, I found it, or in, it, not in his own words yet. Basically, he are, he would tell them, I'm here doing business for my masters, the Wellmans. I'm still a slave, but I'm just here doing business for them. And that's why he was never brought in. Anyway, he says, I found it much harder at this time to be a free man than I had to be a slave, but finally got to be able to earn 50 cents per day. So running into multiple owners, basically trying to create this ruse everywhere he went was actually a lot of work is what he's saying. Uh, the constable, where he ends up in New Haven, Connecticut, eventually does catch him, though, and notifies him and his owner that he will be arrested and enslaved if, and I quote, I did not buy myself. I instantly offered to give up my house and land and all I had, and hence the reason why he has nothing to his name and writes this autobiography to make this money back. I get that this was kind of a shorter like episode, but I do think it's interesting that we end with one of William Grimes' amazing quotes that basically ends his autobiography. One of my favorite quotes in all of U.S. history. If it were not for the stripes on my back, which were made while I was a slave, I would in my will leave my skin a legacy to the government, desiring that it may be taken off and made into parchment, and then bind the constitution of glorious, happy, and free America. Let the skin of an American slave bind the charter of American liberty. And that's on page 68 of his uh, uh, autobiography. What do you think of that quote? No, yeah, I've heard it before. You've used it in class many times. I, I absolutely love it. Just the imagery of using his skin with lashes to bind the document that's supposed to represent freedom for all Americas just illuminates the hypocrisy of the country. So while Grimes wasn't like social mover and shaker the way Nat Turner or David Walker was, he is still revolutionary. He freed himself. He freed other slaves. He wrote about his life. It is an important document that has that that, that contests the celebrated glorious history of the American ethically constitutive story. This is the key behind uh, celebrating William Grimes. He ends up dying quietly in 1865, um, though he was famous enough because of his autobiography that there are a lot of like public notes and obituaries that take place. But real quickly, what do you think the legacy of William Grimes is? Again, perhaps not the social mover uh, that David Walker or Nat Turner is, but also wildly important. Yeah, I think it's super important. Uh, He's one of the first ones, if not the first one, to write his life story himself on his own terms and publish it so that the American public back then and to this day have a, a full account of a slave's life and then eventually a free man from start to finish without any kind of whitewashing like he did it himself. And that's key. William, Ga- William Grimes, Revolutionary Exit. Do not forget his name. Take us out. Catch us on revolutionandideology.com. We're also on Twitter at Rev and Ideology. If you're not watching this on YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, just search Revolution and Ideology and it'll come up. We put all of our episodes there. 
as well as other videos we create for our courses that we teach at the university and just other videos we make, uh, things that we think are important. Subscribe to us at our website at revolutionandideology.com or any podcasting app. If you like what we're doing, suggest us to your friends. And if you really, really like what we're doing, you can support us on Patreon. That gives us a little more freedom to buy technology and spend time trying to improve uh, the way that we deliver content to our listeners and create uh, more high-quality content. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. Later.